Morning, everybody. You gonna be watching the Who Cares Bowl uh, later today? That's not, that's not fair. I know we have some New England fans here, and so we welcome everybody here at Hope. So if you're a New England fan, here's your opportunity. Give them a yell. <laughs> Just curious, how many of you will be cheering for the Rams? <laughs> Way different than last year. Totally different energy. I don't know what it is. That'll be great. But now I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way. And the most excellent way boils down to a single word, and that word is love. Love is the most excellent way. It's the most excellent way because it is the only way that will endure. Faith will cease. Hope will cease. Wealth will fade. Beauty will fade. Strength will fade. Popularity will fade. The one thing that will endure is love. The Apostle John told us in his first letter, the fourth chapter, that God is love, that there is this synonym of God with love. God is love. What God is is love. What love is is God. It is the one thing that endures. God's whole motive in sending his son to earth. His motive was love. For God so loved the world, right? That he sent his only son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so it should be no surprise then that when asked about the greatest commandment of all of the commandments and of all the laws and all the prophets, Jesus was asked, what is the most important one? It should be no surprise that his answer was love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart or emotion, with all your mind or intellect, with all your soul, that part of the human being which endures forever and with all your strength, the best that you have. Love God with all that you have, Jesus said. But then he said something that was, that was kind of expected. They weren't really surprised when they heard that. They all, you know, the congregation, the Jewish congregation, hearing that all would have gone, amen. They weren't Methodists. They would have actually said, amen. I know you say it, but you say it under your breath. But then he did something radically different. He linked it to these words. And the second he said is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so in this new covenant, in this new church that Jesus was forming, he said it is loving God with all that you've got and loving your neighbor as yourself is the greatest commandment. And so in this series that we're wrapping up today, we looked at what it means to love God with all you've got. We talked about last week loving neighbor. And so I want to, as we close out this series and prepare our hearts for communion, talk about loving yourself. Loving yourself. Because that part sometimes gets lost. Love God, yay! Love neighbor, yay! How? As yourself. So I did this little research thing. It, was, it wasn't a big research project. It just was... Uh, it took a half hour or so, and I was just looking at some quotes by some Christian writers and thinkers and so forth, and I was surprised, honestly, by some of the negativity around self-love and what they had to say about it. Here's, here's what one author wrote. The sinful emotions are stirred most deeply by self-love. The sinful Emotions are stirred most deeply by self-love. So there is a misunderstanding about the nature of self-love. But it's not selfish. Self-love is not selfish. A God-honoring self-love is a commandment implied in what Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're not talking about a selfishness. But we can get off track with this self-love thing in, in two seemingly opposite ways, but, but the result is the same, a lack of self-love. One of the ways that we get off track is loving ourselves as central to everything else. It's a kind of worshiping in front of a full-length mirror. It's what somebody called an axis problem. You know what that is, an axis problem? When you think that the world revolves around you, right? When you worship yourself, when you love yourself first, it's a kind of idolatry. When you think and believe that everything else should conform to you, your desires, your priorities, your focus, your way, your will, and everything that is outside of that is to be rejected, and only that which is supporting of that is to be valued and honored. That's a kind of self-love that is a false self-love. It's an idolatry. And it's not what Jesus was talking about when he called us to love ourselves. There's another version of that. It's when you believe that you are unworthy of being loved. You are unloved and you are unlovable. 
and you miss out on who you really are. It's heartbreaking if you've talked to somebody who has this kind of um, self-understanding, that they are unloved and unlovable. It's heartbreaking. You know, one of the problems with bullying in our in our schools among our young people is how destructive it is to their soul, to their very soul, to the essence of who they are. And when they have these voices from their peers coming at them that are just ripping apart their soul, they can come to the conclusion that they are so reprehensible, so odd, so out of the norm, that they are unloved and unlovable. We do tremendous damage. And in this day and age, even more, far more than when I grew up, because then it might be a small group of kids, you know, in a homeroom or something. Now with social media, that voice is just amplified tenfold, a hundredfold. And it can be overwhelming to a kid who's struggling with, am I worthy of love? And don't have the maturity to love themselves. But it's not limited to kids. I've talked to far too many adults who have this same kind of interior life. They don't love themselves because they don't believe they are worthy of love. Sometimes somebody uh, who, who was doing okay can, can find themselves in that state. Usually because of some kind of, of personal crisis. A divorce, for example. The person that you had the most intimate kind of relationship with and, and that relationship has now been destroyed. And that person can walk around feeling unloved and unlovable. Somebody who loses a job, right? And your identity kind of got wrapped up into your job. And when the job goes away, you feel useless, valueless. You don't love yourself. You, you don't even like yourself. And so these are two ways that we get lost in this command to love yourself. So how does it work? How do you, how do we learn to love ourselves? The starting point, I believe, or the foundation comes in the first commandment. Love the Lord your God, with all you've got. We learn to love ourselves. We learn to love others as we learn to love God. It's sort of like a triangle. And the, the base, the hypotenuse, and I, I, I shared this at the first service. I, I, I can't remember the names of the, of the angles of the triangle. There are like eight different triangle forms, right? And so uh, I was describing this, and, and somebody came out and said, well, it's the, it's the hypotenuse, the longest one, the base one. That's 
the one where we love God. The base of everything is loving God. And out of that base, I think it was the isosceles. Anybody? A a geometry major? (laughs) No? Geography? (laughs) Any Gs? Geology? It doesn't matter. All right. But think of that triangle, right? So the base is loving God. And then loving neighbor, loving self come out of that. Love God with all that you've got. That's the foundation. And if that's not the foundation, then your foundation isn't going to last. Anything else that you put at that foundation, whether it's yourself or your job or your kids or your status, anything else that you put there is ultimately going to fail you. When Marilyn and I were dating and engaged and when we were first married, we used to say to each other on a fairly regular basis, I will always love you second. I will always love you second. Now, I was crazy about this woman, and she was crazy about me. We loved each other. It was an epic love story. There's never been one written like this. I mean, you know, people would see us and like birds were flying around us and stuff. Like we just adored each other. But what we were saying to each other and have lived out over 35 years of marriage, I think, is that as deeply as I love and adore you, I know you're not going to be able to fulfill all of the needs that I have. And I can't put that expectation on you. You can't put that on me. The only one worthy of that level of commitment is God. And I love you second after God. That's not a bad place to be, right? Loving God is the start of loving self. How do I love God? With everything I've got, with all of my emotion, with all of my intellect, with all of my personality, with all of my abilities, I invest that in my love for God. There's a great passage of Scripture I want to highlight here. It's from uh, the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote. In the second chapter, the 10th verse, it kind of captures this whole thing in a, in a single verse. And so I want to, I want to read that, um, and have us read that together, actually, rather than just me read it to you. I want us to read that together. So the words are on the screen. Ephesians 2, verse 10. Let's read it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He We are God's what? Masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Uh, A somewhat better translation or or, uh, more accurate, not that masterpiece is, is bad, but it's literally handiwork. You are God's handiwork. You were created by the creator of the universe. You are uniquely created by God. You are his masterpiece. The master artist 
created you. Amen is right. And He created you in His image and likeness. You were created by God as you are. And Marilyn and I, one of the things we like to do on vacation, and by we I mean, you know, she... um, (laughs) I've learned to like it too because I love her with my whole heart. Second, but... We like to go to these little artist shops, and um, and she um, likes to find Christmas ornaments or something from a local artisan. And it's so exciting when she finds something that like is so unique and so forth, unique to the area. And what they often do is uh, they'll have a little uh, card or a brochure that describes who the artist is and and their sensibility in their art and the things that they use that are are unique to the area that we're in. That's the idea that God created you unique. You are God's masterpiece. And this may sound hokey, but I think we ought to do it anyway. To just say out loud, I am God's masterpiece. Say that. I am God's so Let's say it again. I am God's You are God's masterpiece. And as you get your head wrapped around that reality, it begins to make a difference. You are loved by the one who created you with an eternal and fierce love. You are worthy of being loved. And it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter how much pain other people may have inflicted on your life. It's a lie to believe that you are unloved and unlovable because you are loved by your Creator. The next thing it tells us in... Well, here's the other thing that... um, that I wanted to highlight from Psalm 139. The words won't be on the screen. I just want you to listen because this is a great psalm about, you know, God's intimate relationship with an individual. David wrote this, You made all of the delicate inner parts of my body. You made all of them. And you knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. God didn't make mistakes with you. God made you as you are. You are absolutely unique. So that's who you are. You were made in the image and likeness of God. But the next thing that that passage tells us is that he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Created us anew. Why did we need to be created anew? Because that image of Christ, that image of God, that likeness of God has been distorted in us. Our sensibility has been distorted because of the reality of sin this brokenness within us, this missing of the mark has marred that image of God in us. So we were made in His image, but that image has been marred because of the reality 
of sin. But God loved the world so much, God loved you so much, that he sent his only son to make you anew, to recreate you, not to destroy, not to judge, but to make you anew. And so that's the work of the Spirit within. The work of the Holy Spirit is making you new so that you are becoming the man that God dreamed for you to be. You're becoming the woman that God dreamed for you to be at the very beginning when he was knitting you together in your mother's womb. And so that newness that's going on is Christ's work in you. You were made in his image. The image was marred and you are being remade into the likeness of Christ and being remade for the sake of others. And that's how this passage ends, right? This verse ends. He uh, he created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There's a purpose and a plan for you. That God, when he created you, when he first thought you up, pretty cool, God thought you up. He had a purpose and a plan for you to be part of the good work that he's doing. And what does that look like? That means loving your neighbor in the unique Ability in the unique voice, in the unique personality, in the unique way that you are able to do that work. You are working in cooperation with the Spirit, doing what you were created to do as you love your neighbor. Out of a love for God, knowing how desperately you are loved, recognizing your own eternal value as a child of God, created in his image and likeness. He wants to do a good work through you to bring blessing to your neighbor. And what's that look like? You tell me. You're writing that story. The way that you live out your days, the way that you interact with people, the way that you are employing your gifts and talents and abilities is writing that story of how you are doing that good work that you were created in advance to do. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you could walk around with guilt and shame. Jesus died on a cross to set you free to become the man and woman that God intended for you to be. And as you love God with all you've got, he sets you free to love yourself and out of that love to love your neighbor, to be a blessing. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son as a sacrifice for us that we might find forgiveness of our sin that mars and distorts the image of God in us. And so on that night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. And so we're going to pray a prayer together. We're called to uh, recognize our own sin and to acknowledge our own sin as God is in the process of making us anew. And so we're going to take a few moments to pray this pray this uh, uh, community prayer of confession together. And the words are on the screen, so let's pray. Almighty God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart or our neighbor as ourselves. And after they had pre- prayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. As oft as you shall do this, do so in remembrance of me, the body of Christ broken for you. And likewise, after they had eaten the bread, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and drink, for this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As oft as you shall drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ shed for you.